Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Okay, that was good. Uh, so by means of a further introduction, after uh, Jeremy's, yes, I am Mike Eunice. I've been part of Restoration Church for the last 19 years, and I think I've lost track. It's either 14 or 15 of those uh, as part of the deacon board. It's always a privilege to be able to serve God this way, to be able to come before you, and before I go any further, Having said good morning to all of you here in Dover, I need to do the same thing for those of us who are part of Restoration in Plymouth, in Bethlehem, online, and, and, and I'm not showing any favoritism here, but for my brother and sister homies in Milton, hi to everybody and good morning. So this week, we're continuing our series, and here's my personal disclaimer, I don't play golf, I've never played golf, I've never been on a golf course, other than to mow some grass, but I'll talk about that. But as we're continuing our series, Family Classic, Is Your Family on Par? It's really a good thing that Pastor Nate in the past two weeks defined some terms for everybody. He talked about par, he talked about scorecard, leaderboard, things like that. And I want to touch on a couple of other terms. Even with my lack of knowledge, I know about these. One is rough, and the other is trap. There's a, a picture that I hope is going to go up momentarily. Which will, so if you can see that, all of that nice light green area surrounded by the darker green, that's where the ball is supposed to go. That's the fairway. That's another term for you, by the way. All of those little white spots are bunkers or sand traps. They're there to perplex golfers who hit the ball in the wrong place and then end up there. And then they have to use a higher level of skills to be able to get out. And all that dark grass surrounding those uh, lighter spots, That's the rough. That's where they don't cut the grass the same way. They leave it higher intentionally. And it's a hazard. And if a ball goes there, it takes more work, more skill, more effort to be able to get the ball to where you wanted it to go in the first place. Well, this morning I'm here before you as two things. One, I'm an imperfect parent. In my parenting experience, I've ended up in the bunker and I've ended up in the rough a lot of times in raising my children. But I'm also someone who has more lawn mowing experience than anybody in this room, and I'm willing to give you odds that that's the case. On the parenting side, I have three children. I have a daughter who I've never met. She was born the day after my 18th birthday when I was a senior in high school. I got to see her all bundled up in a nursery, never saw her face for, I don't know, it seemed like 30 seconds, it might have been a couple minutes, and then uh, I was asked to leave, and she was then later placed for adoption. 10 years later, my daughter Taryn was born, and then 20 months after that, her brother Keith was born. So those are my three children. From a standpoint of mowing lawns, and and believe me, hang with me, because there's a connection here as to what this series is all about. I spent 14 years working for a city in Pennsylvania. For 13 of those 14 years, I was in facilities management. We had two Olympic-sized pools. We had an ice skating rink, regulation size. 
A quick show of hands. Who knows what a Zamboni is? Oh, that's great. Because I am, you're going to be honored when I'm done. I could do donuts and I could drift a Zamboni on the ice. <laughs> also got me in a lot of trouble, but I could do it. But in mowing, one of the things that was always important was going out beforehand. And we had uh, baseball fields, football fields. We had 120 acres of open space. We had 16 parks, all owned by the city. And the department I was part of was responsible for maintaining all that and keeping looking good. But before we would mow, we would always have to go out there and pick up all these things that were laying on the grass. It could be sticks, it could be baseballs, it could be beer cans, soda cans, tree limbs, paper, all kinds of junk. But in order to get the finished product to look the way that we wanted it to, we had to go out there first. So in doing that, the result that we wanted to achieve was what you'll see in this next picture. We wanted the finished product to look like that. Clean, unobstructed, beautiful to the eye, beautiful to walk on, and if you're a golfer, beautiful to play on. But I also learned that you can misuse a lawnmower. Now, part of uh, the training that I received when I was first hired was to watch all of these videos, at least I think they were videos, they might have been actual like 16 millimeter film back then, because it was that long ago. But we had to learn what to do and what not to do. One of those, and I know you all do this when you get a new car, you all read the manual thoroughly. Yeah, right. Well, that's one of the things that we had to do, to be able to know the equipment that we were gonna be operating and how to use it properly. We also learned things not to do, and what I'm about to tell you I saw a graphic video or film of the results of people doing what I'm gonna tell you I learned not to do. One, never put your hand under the mower when the blades are engaged. People have done that. Never put your hands in the discharge chute when the blades are engaged. People have done that. Never use the lawnmower as a hedge trimmer. People have done that. And then another one was don't misuse the equipment don't try to use a lawnmower for something it was not designed to do, which you will clearly see in this picture, which is they were celebrating, yay, we mowed, it, we mowed this, but they didn't mow it with that because that piece of equipment is not designed to take that kind of a task and accomplish it successfully. So again, if you're beginning to worry that this is a message about landscape and lawn mowing, you can relax because it's not. This morning I want to talk to you about being parents about our children, and a term that some of you may be familiar with called lawnmower parenting. Now, over the last few years, there have been a number of terms that have been put out regarding parenting. One of those was helicopter parenting. Another was snowplow parenting. But the one that is current and in vogue is lawnmower parenting. And what that simply says is that as a parent, acting as a lawnmower for my child I want to make sure that their path is clean and green, that there's nothing in front of them that is going to pose an obstacle, is going to get in their way to success. I'm going to do everything that I need to do to see that that all happens. Now, I'm going to quote from an article written by Sherry Gordon, and it was very soon be titled, What is Lawnmower Parenting? I'm quoting her. Lawnmower parents are the newest breed of overbearing parents who are excessively involved in their children's lives. They plow ahead, micromanaging, interfering, and arranging. 
The goal is to protect them from failure, disappointment, discomfort, and adversity. But all this fixing and helping is not creating happy or healthy children. Instead, this parenting style is spawning a new generation of children who fall into the trap of believing that life is always going to be easy. They lose sight of the fact that it's not always the case. They don't learn how to deal with disappointment or failure, nor do they learn that disappointment and failure are not terrible things. In fact, they're an essential part of growing up. For kids to become well-rounded adults, they need to experience setbacks. And when lawnmower parents choose to remove those setbacks, they're robbing their children of the ability to develop important life skills. Now, even though the hearts of most of these parents is in the right place, all of their help is communicating a very different message. Their efforts say to them, you can't be trusted to do things on your own. I'll make the decisions for you. And when that happens, their kids feel helpless, insecure, have doubt in their own abilities to manage life. And that's the end of her quote. And then I've got one other short quote for you as I'll continue. Uh, many of us are familiar with the name Dave Ramsey. Well, he wrote a recent article about parenting, but he used an analogy of a bald eagle and the nest that a bald eagle will build for the young eaglets that are going to be hatched. As a side note, eagles' nests can weigh almost 2,000 pounds, a, a full ton. It's just amazing to see the construction. But as Dave Ramsey wrote, you may have heard that an eagle builds its nest of large thorns, then lines the nest with down to protect the eggs and newborn eagles from the thorns. As the baby eagles mature, the mother begins removing the down, making the nest a thorny, uncomfortable place to live. This natural discomfort is not due to the mother eagle being a big meanie. It's so that at the appropriate time, the baby stands on the edge of the nest, spreads its wings, flies, and soars. That is a powerful analogy for us as parents. Lawnmower parents realize that there are thorns in the nest. They line it with down, but they don't ever want to remove it. They want it to be a soft landing every single time. And look, if any of this is going to hit you right between the eyes, I want you to remember one thing, please, that our Lord and Savior Jesus is forgiving of any mistake we can ever make, past, present, future, including how we may have raised our children or are in the process of raising them. So there's no condemnation here at all. This is just to be able to say there is a godly way that God calls us to when it comes to interacting and raising our kids. The basic premise behind lawnmower parenting is this. If I don't do this for my son or daughter, God only knows where they're going to end up. Well, there's a little bit of truth in that statement. God knows where they're going to end up. He knew that before they were born. But the rest of it, frankly, is a lie. It's based in fear, a fear that says, I don't want my kids to be hurt. I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to go through what I went through. Now, all of that's very noble. And there's not anything wrong with wanting to see them succeed and to have a life where they avoid disaster or pitfalls. There's nothing wrong with any of that. It's a question of what we do to try to bring that to pass. And lawnmower parenting, fortunately or unfortunately, doesn't necessarily respect age of child either. These are all examples of people 
mowing the path for their children. I didn't make any of these up. These are all real. There was a dad who brought an insulated bottle of water to his daughter's school because she refused to drink anything other, including an unopened bottle of water. She demanded that that bottle be brought. He did it. A high school student asked a mother, a high school student's mother asked a teacher to walk her child to each class so that she could make sure that she got there in a timely manner. Now, this one is pre-COVID. A mother asked a teacher to blow on a child's food to cool it off before she ate it. A, a dad asked that his son's work be done at a different level because it was too hard for him. And then after his son got his final grade, he emailed the, the teacher really angry about the grade that he had received. I like this one. A mother asked that the teacher take her daughter's lunch to the teacher's lounge, put it in a microwave, heat it up, and then bring it to her in a cafeteria. I mean, some of these are almost hard to believe, but like I said, they're real. As Pastor Nate spoke about in the first week, the, the big scandals that were out there about celebrity parents and others paying, bribing, lying about their kids' credentials to be able to get them into their school of choice. And of course, we've all seen videos somewhere of irate parents acting up with umpires, referees, other kids, other parents at Little League, Pop Warner football, ice hockey, wherever it may be, because somehow their child has been wronged. I've got a good one here, and this is pre-lawnmower parenting, but it's a great demonstration. My son Keith, a hockey player, when he was younger, he, he was fortunate enough to play intercollegiate. But in uh, youth hockey, he was about 12 or 13, we had a goalie on the team. I was an assistant coach, and all I'm going to tell you is his first name was Dave, and Dave was a little bit hot-headed. Trash talking, how many are familiar with trash talking in sports? You know what that means? You get in your opponent's face and you tell them how great you are and how terrible they are. That's essentially what it comes down to. Well, trash talking in hockey has all kinds of variations. In this particular case, after an opponent scored a goal on our goalie, Dave, it was the winning goal. The young man who scored the goal circled around the net and tapped the goalie on his pads twice. That's an insult. That's saying, I got you. But that's what he did. And if you've watched youth hockey, college hockey, or even professional at certain times in the season, there's a handshake at the end of the game. The players line up on either side of the ice, they skate towards each other, and they shake hands. It's sportsmanship. Well, in this particular game, Dave was so insulted that as that line was going through, he took his hockey stick, his goalie stick, and used it as a tomahawk to try to take the head off of the young man who had scored the goal against him. Here's where the lawnmower parenting comes in. The coach of our team on the ice grabbed him, pulled him off the ice, and was berating him for what he had just done. His mother came running over, and you would have liked to have thought that what she did was to support the coach. My son just did something terrible. Unfortunately, by the grace of God, nobody was hurt. That's not what she did. She ended up getting the coach suspended for two games because of the way that her son was treated. Nowhere in there was there any discussion about anything that he had done. It's sad, it was tragic, it was a lot of years ago, but it's just another demonstration of how parents can get involved. And when I said that age doesn't necessarily become a factor in becoming a lawnmower parent, in a recent article in The Hill by Daniel DeVees, he stated that half of parents 
still pay their adult children's bills for them, the average is over $1,400 a month. And 25% of millennials continue to have their parents pay for their housing. That's not a nest where the down has been removed. That's a nest where not only is the down there, but there's an air mattress, there's a whole bunch of other stuff to make the kids comfortable. <laughs> so again, what, what happens with this kind of parental example, parental parenting, if I can even say that? That opportunity to learn and grow is gone. It's taken away. What we need to be doing, and I, and I say this very clearly, is we need to understand that children need to understand in their lives that there are gonna be bad days. There's not anyone in this room, I am certain of it, that could raise their hand and say, I never had a bad day in my life. We all do. It's part of the life that we're blessed to have. But that doesn't mean that in knowing that, there shouldn't be some preparation to be able to be ready to handle those days in a proper way. Lawnmower parenting can create anxiety and all kinds of pressure in kids. And post-COVID, we all hear about it. There's just so much depression, fear, and anxiety in young people today. This only exacerbates that. It only increases it. But children, no matter how you have them or how they come to you, when you have them in life, every one of them is a gift from God. Every single child born is a gift from God. And we as our parents are charged with nurturing them, protecting them, raising them in a godly environment, and doing all we can to prepare them to be able to face the life that God has ordained for them. But that doesn't mean that what we do is go through and mow the path for them. That's not our calling as parents. I hope nobody thinks that they are, because I know it's not true, but there is nobody who's a perfect parent. And if you don't believe me, ask your kids, they'll tell you. You're just, we're not. We're human just like they are. But there is a perfect parent. And then one perfect parent is God our Father. And without any hesitation, I can tell you this. God, the perfect Father, doesn't subscribe to lawnmower parenting. He loves us so much that he allows us to experience those things that we would rather not experience. He allows us to become uncomfortable. He allows us to go through situations where we say, where are you, God? And is that because he doesn't love us? No, quite the contrary. It's because he does. Those are the moments in our lives. I know in my own life, those are the moments that when I look back retrospectively, that's where the growth has occurred. That's where my faith has been increased. It doesn't mean that the situations were easy, and it doesn't mean that there weren't tears shed, but it does mean that God was always present. That's the kind of father that he is. If you have your Bibles, or if you use the Bible app, and if you don't have a Bible, certainly you can get one for free at the Welcome Center. But I'd like you to turn to the book of Luke, the 15th chapter. And we're going to be reading verses 11 through 24. This is a parable, and a parable being a story within Scripture that is placed there to teach us a point or several points of truth. And this is the parable of the prodigal son. Again, I, I believe it's familiar to a lot of us. 
So in Luke, which is going to come up any moment, there we go. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food, have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me in as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Here's this young man. We don't know his exact age. He knows that at some point in his life, he's going to be able to be enriched by his father's inheritance. He's young. He's impulsive. He doesn't have the patience to wait to get that inheritance. So he asks for it. His father gives it to him. And then off he goes. And as we heard, read in scripture, squandered it, ended up destitute, hungry, and ends up having to push all his pride aside to be able to come back home. Although it doesn't say this specifically in the parable, this is a truth that I pull out of it as a father with my children. The father in this story knew his two sons. He knew their temperament. He knew their abilities. He knew their emotions. He knew their maturity. They're his boys. He knew who they were. So I have to think that when this young son came to him, asking for his part of the inheritance. That if the father wanted to act as a lawnmower parent, he would have said, no, you're not ready to have those kinds of riches put in your hand. I'm not going to do that. But the father didn't make that decision. What the father did was say, okay, you're going to go out. Here it is. And again, I'm believing that that dad knew that there was a real good chance it wasn't going to work out well because he knew his son. He was allowing that boy to go out and make his own mistakes. 
He raised him. He nurtured him. As best he could, he put in a sense of values and self-worth within that young man. But he went out there and did his thing. It's too long a story, but I've got a daughter, my daughter Taryn, who went out and did her thing for a number of years. There were all kinds of emotional reasons why she did that, but she did. And as much as I wanted to protect her and show my love, wasn't able to do that because she was off doing her thing. Today, she serves the Lord. She honors him. She loves him. It was a hard, painful road for her to travel, as well as for me as her father. But you know what? Had I tried to do anything other, she wouldn't be where she is today. I truly believe that that's the case. She wouldn't have been a survivor. She wouldn't have been close to the Lord. She wouldn't have been who she is as a woman in Christ had I tried to jump in with my lawnmower and clear the path for her. So just as in my case and in this parable, we see the love of Christ being offered to a child. That's what this father did. Yeah, you made mistakes. Yeah, you squandered the money. Yes, you did everything that I never wanted you to do. But you're my son and I love you. Exactly what God says to each of us. Regardless of where we've been, what we've done. And that's how we need to look at our children. Three weeks ago, we celebrated Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. Other than us all knowing why Good Friday is Good Friday, that is the most misnamed day ever. Because what took place on that day for our Lord was, we can't even imagine it. No matter how many times we read it, see it in movies, we can't imagine what it is that he went through. It was a black and horrid day. And yet, on Sunday, the greatest day ever, including in eternity, because the victory that took place on that day changed everything for every human being and the opportunity that we're presented with through Christ. In that account of what took place, we see something else about God the Father. And this is why I can say without any equivocation that God is not a lawnmower parent because had he been, would we read in scripture about Jesus going to the cross? There's no lawnmower parent in the world that would have let that happen. I'd be out there. I'd clear the path. I'd do whatever I have to do to get every obstacle out of the way. But no, you're not going to nail my son to the cross. And yet God allowed that. What does that say? It says two things to me. The first, which I've already stated. God loves his son and each one of us so much that he will allow these challenges to come into our life, even unto death, as it is with Jesus. And yet, the victory on the other side of that is something that we have to recognize is always there and be ready to acknowledge and accept, because that's who God is. These next two verses, or, or parts of scripture, are a little bit challenging for us. In the book of James, chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 2 and 4. Two through four. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So just holding it there. You don't have to raise your hand because I know it wouldn't be a lot of hands. How many people 
have great joy when trouble comes your way. It's like, oh, good, here comes another one. If, if you raised your, if you wanted to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's how I feel, uh, you know, the prayer team, they are available still. And then it goes on to say, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's the essence of getting out of the way, getting off the lawnmower and letting our kids grow and experience. When this is complete in your life and their lives, God's calling all of a sudden becomes much clearer. Because we have been tested, we've endured, we've become victorious through his strength and his power. Now, does a little five or six or seven year old totally understand that? Some do, not all. Which then brings it back to us as parents, is nurturing, developing, and teaching them what it means when things go south, when they don't work out as planned or the way that we would like. We can only prepare a child for the path that they're gonna walk through life. We can't prepare the path. We're not called to do that. And we can't walk it for him either. God allowed Jesus to go to the cross. He allowed his son to walk that path that was needed to accomplish a much greater good. On a much smaller scale, the same thing applies for us with, his, with the children that we're blessed with. And in all of that, what those kids are gonna learn is that just like all of us, they too are his children with that same love, that same care, and that same protection. The next group of verses come from the Amplified Version, which sometimes is a little tricky for people, but I think it, it's gonna help. This is Romans 5, verses three through five. And not only this, but with joy. Again, we're back to the joy part. Let us exult. Exult means celebrate, jump up and down, be real excited about it. Exult in our sufferings and rejoice in our hardships. Knowing that hardship, distress, pressure, trouble produces patient endurance. So hardship, the troubles in our life, prepares us and builds us up, helping us to endure. It goes on to say, and endurance, proven character, spiritual maturity, and proven character hope. So that proven character that comes out of endurance helps us to develop spiritually. And it can't start too early with our children. And then that develops our character. And out of character comes hope, hope in our Lord, and assurance of eternal salvation, which is the greatest gift that any of us will ever receive. Such hope in God's promises never disappoints us because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. They're difficult truths. Again, we come back to, to the earlier verses. Sometimes we're gonna have to take on those challenges and sometimes those, our kids are gonna have to face challenges in their own life. Not maybe, they will. So the question for all of you this morning, wherever you might be is, do you believe these words of scripture? Do you believe them enough in your heart and your mind to be able to say, I'm gonna to have to get out of the way sometimes. Rather than jumping in, I'm gonna to have to step back. I'm not gonna be the dad who says, hey, I gotta bring my water bottle to my child because she won't drink bottled water. 
I'm not going to do that. You know what? I'll also give you this guarantee. Your kids are not always going to like you. Too bad. Because they're not. It's funny how things flash back in your head, but I've got all these occurrences with my kids where I know they didn't like me. And that's not what was important. What was important is that they understood that I loved them. I got one other little tip for you. There are going to be times where you have to go back to your kids, and I don't care how old they are. You can start when they're small or when they're grown adults and out on their own. You have to go back to them and ask for forgiveness. Let me tell you, that's not easy. Sometimes I think I would rather ask God for his forgiveness than ask my kids for theirs because it's a symbol of hurt or something that I've done wrong that affected them. And it's never too late. Four or five years ago, I, I apologized to my son for something that ha occurred and the way I reacted to him coming back from a hockey game when he was 10. I'm talking like 40 years later, but it came to my memory and I just knew that I needed to, to just bring it out. He hadn't remembered it, by the way, but when I brought it up, he did. I don't know if it made him feel any better, but it lifted a burden off my shoulders. So I want to summarize for you real quickly. In this last picture, we have a choice. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, I don't, I don't like golf, but that's just like a beautiful, serene <laughs> setting. Where that person's standing right there holding that flag, that person wants that ball to go in there. That's, that's the goal. That's the objective. That's where they're supposed to end up. And as I said earlier, you've got the rough, all that high grass. You've got the traps, all that other stuff. This is life for our children. That hole there is where they're going. And no matter how great we think we are, there are going to be rough spots surrounding their path to get to that final destination. There are going to be traps all over the place. There's going to be water hazards. There's going to be all kinds of things that are going to get in the way. What have we done to prepare them? Not save them from those situations. Prepare them to be able to deal with it. Professional golfers will put a ball in there over and over and over again. I don't know. Maybe amateurs do it too. I just don't know. But they'll put the ball there and they'll practice hitting out of it. Hitting out of it, hitting out of it, over and over again. They'll put a ball in the rough and do the same thing. Why? Because they know no matter how good they are, they're not going to play a perfect round of golf. And there's a chance that they're going to end up in one of these situations where the ball goes somewhere they don't want it to. It's exactly the same with our kids' lives. But rather than being a lawnmower parent and saying, oh, wait, your ball landed here, let me pick it up and put it over here for you. Rather than doing that, how much better is it to do what those golfers do? To give our kids the opportunity to experience those setbacks, those failures, those missed shots. To be able to mature, to grow, to develop the skill sets, the critical thinking, and above all, the faith in Jesus Christ to know that no matter how dark it might be or how difficult it might be or how many times they end up in the same trap in life, that God always provides a way out. And God always loves them as we love our children so that they know that they have that coming from us and them. That's what this is all about. 
You know, we have, you can, you can make the decision. And really, it's your decision. It's not anything that I'm going to do. As the band comes up here, the decision you can make is, am I going to check the oil, fill the gas, make sure the blades are sharp, start the engine, and go out and mow as much as I possibly can to clear the path for my children? Is that what I'm going to do? Or am I going to love my children so much that I'm going to allow them those opportunities in life where they may experience some, some hurt, some pain, some failure, some setback. All those are really negative words, but they're not in the context of who God calls us to be and how he chooses to allow us to grow in our lives. So that's the choice we face. And as I demonstrated earlier, it doesn't stop when our kids are little because I would never pay my kids' bills monthly. You know? And I'm not, like I said, I'm not condemning anybody. If that's where you are, I hope that this is an opportunity for us to just self-examine where we are as parents. And if you're not a parent yet, but you plan to be one day, please remember, God's the perfect father. None of us are going to be perfect in our parenting. But we need to, we're called to do one thing. Love our kids, prepare them for life, and see that they have every possible avenue to understand who Jesus is and allow him to come into their lives. So parenting's not about obstacles being mowed down to make life easy. It's preparing for what we know life is going to be all about. Let your kids know that they're not always going to win. And for those that know me well, and there are people in this room that do know me well, I hate losing. But we're not always going to win. And there's no shame in losing. It doesn't diminish the love of our parents. It doesn't diminish God's love for us. It's part of life. We accept it, we grow through it, and we move on. And as my wife does every spring, when she gets out and starts her gardening, she loves, she nurtures, she cares for. And it was Pastor Nate that said a couple weeks ago, we cultivate our children's development. That's what it's all about. Cultivating, nurturing, putting ourselves and pouring ourselves into their lives, but letting nature do what nature needs to do in a garden, allowing God to do what God needs to do on our children's lives. This is not meant to be funny, but the one thing that my wife gets angry about with me is when she's got something planted and I've got the lawnmower. Because if it's in my way, it's dead. <laughs> Let us not do that with our children. Let me pray before the band closes us out. Father, this morning we thank you. Above all else, we thank you for you, Lord. For your love for us, your forgiveness for us, that eternal set of patience that you have with us when we go astray. God, this morning I ask that for, for each of us that are parents, no matter the age of our children, and those that will one day be blessed to be parents, Lord, that you will continually speak to us in our hearts, our minds, and our spirits in ways that will lead us to have the wisdom that we will need to raise these children. 
to be there in, in older years to share experience and life and you with them. Lord, let us be their guide. Let us be a reflection of your love. And Lord, we need your strength and your power to let go when we're called to let go. We just thank you, God, again, for the love that you shower down on us, our children, and for allowing us, Lord, to be part of your kingdom. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.